Good day. My name is Stefan Christophe in Montreal, and each month I share an artist interview. Um, this is a series of conversations with creative workers and artists, musicians, both here in Montreal, where I live, GeoGiage, but also around the world. For the interview broadcasting in August and September, I'm going to be featuring a conversation with Lea Tremblay Fong, who has created a work of contemporary dance that is also an urban intervention. It was situated in Montreal's Chinatown. It addresses questions of the legacies of violence in relation to immigration policy uh, in the Canadian nation state and how that affected members of the Chinese diaspora, but also questions, contemporary questions about gentrification and the ways that uh, the cityscape is being reshaped often in a process of violent policy that works to displace members of working class and racialized communities. This is something that's happening in Montreal, Chinatown uh, areas right now. But this was a creative intervention where Lea worked with members of the Chinese community at different uh, spaces, including uh, with a group of women from an older generation to create a dance piece. Uh, it was presented in Montreal at a festival called Access Asie. And we talked about her practice, but also the idea of bringing contemporary dance to a public space and how that plays out. I think that this is relevant in terms of thinking about the lines between performance spaces, contemporary art, and more accessible public atmospheres where contemporary art or contemporary dance can be presented. Um, and that, of course, applies to many cities around the world. Um, so thanks so much to Lea for being on the program this month. Here's my conversation with Lea Tremblay-Fong on her work, Sit, Eat and Chew. Okay, so we're in Montreal, we're in a public space, and recently in your practice, you engaged with public space um, and uh, took people on a journey through Chinatown as in the context of the festival Access Asie, uh, which is a festival that highlights Asian cultures and contemporary experimentation with diasporic uh, representations of Asian culture here in Montreal. But I think before we get into the details of your piece that was just presented, but also like your practice uh, as a choreographer, as a dancer, maybe you can just first introduce yourself and speak a bit about who you are, um, what what you do, just very briefly for somebody who's listening and, and isn't aware of your practice. Okay, so my name is Léa Tremblay-Fong. Um, I'm a dancer and choreographer. I call what I do contemporary dance, but I'm influenced by different dance styles. Uh, street dances in particular are very important, and I do work with street dancers as well as contemporary dancers. Now it's difficult to distinguish everything so clearly because we mingle. Um, for the last, I guess, 10 years, I have been doing dan dance projects outside, in the streets. Uh, I feel comfortable now working there with, as I said, the interruptions by the people who live around. And sometimes we, off like, we organize something to really discuss with the, the people from the community where we are working. But even the spontaneous interactions are very inspiring to me. 
And so, yeah, I create and perform outside. I do use the studio as well, but it makes sense when I'm outside with other humans. <laughs> yeah. So thinking about, um, you know, people interacting with what you're doing, right? Montreal's a city going through so many huge changes right now, massive crisis of gentrification, um, rising rent um, costs, a lot of people experiencing, um, experiencing like housing precarity. But um, this recent work that you did maybe is sort of existing in that context, but also looking at the past and, and looking at how these sort of patterns aren't just happening now but have a history and a context um, in, in the context of Chinatown. So maybe could you talk a bit and introduce the piece that you recently presented um, in this sort of framework of interacting with the city? Um, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's a bit broad. Big so question. which aspect would you like me to focus on? Because there's a big community outreach part and then there's the creative side and there's documentary research as well. That's all part of the project. Um, well, let's start with the community interaction and yes. why you chose to uh, engage with Chinatown residents in the way that you did. And maybe also describe for people who aren't aware of what that, what that was and why it's important to engage with Chinatown in the current context of Montreal and gentrification. Yes, that's a big question. Um, well, first of all, I have to say how the project started. I sure. think that's very important. Um, there was a first version made by my collaborator, Mei-Yin Ng, who lives in New York City and who lived for many years in Manhattan's Chinatown. Uh, from there, she decided to create a performance that would be a sort of guided tour of Manhattan's Chinatown. And each place, each stop, I think there were four, five stops in her tour, it was okay, I, like one was in a private apartment, one, is a, one was in a hair salon, there was one in a park. Okay. Each stop was inspired by certain local stories or g sometimes gossips yeah, yeah. Um, that so she had heard through like living there. And she wanted to uh, export that kind of creative process to other Chinatown in North America. It's very meaningful for her too in particular because she is from Malaysia, but uh, born and well, raised in the Chinese uh, culture. Um, so Chinatowns are very significant for her identity, yeah. um, mostly in, in North America in that sure. case. She approached me in 2018 okay. because uh, it was through Festival Akseazi that she found out that, well, I had some Chinese background and that I like to work outside with the community. So that's why it was well, relevant yeah. to approach yes. me. Um, and then it took a couple years to get the funding and a couple years of COVID. And I was not open to switch this project to an online version because as I said, the community involvement part is super central. And when I'm with people in the same room, speaking or teaching dance, it's not the same as if we're all on Zoom. And one part of our community, well, what we wanted to share with the community, first, okay, the idea is to get inspiration from local stories, but we have to meet people and hear stories. Yeah, we did some, like, we read, we read about, like, what has been documented, testimonies from people who have 
actually, who are already dead, but who were part of the first Chinese immigrants in Montreal. We did that part of like documentary research, but there's also a lot of people who are in Chinatown, younger and older, who have stories to Montreal in well, related to Montreal's Chinatown. So we wanted to meet these people, and our way to meet them was through teaching dance classes. Wow. In the fall, we taught to a group of kids between four and eight years old, a group of adults, and a group of older people. In the winter, we continued only with the older people because they were they were the most available and the most committed. They have they have more time. Respect. And we we were teaching mostly uh, to the older people in a in a residence in Chinatown that's called the Yikang Center. And it was cool because I have some aunt that I don't know exactly exactly what's her relationship in my family but she's some sort of aunt and my cousin brought me there and said okay Leah would like to teach dance there is it possible and they s said yes so we keep on teaching dance classes there cool. the residents of the place come to tour classes and then there's a group of women who were some of them were part of the performance uh, that group of Chinese women who, I don't know what's the full name, it's a long name, it's like uh, Chinese Women's Club of the family, Chinese Family Service of Greater Montreal, something mm -hmm. like that. Okay. So these women too came to our classes. Nice. Uh, I was teaching another dancer, Martin Castera, was teaching with me and Mei Yin Ng Tam uh, also when she was in Montreal because she still, she still lives in New York City, so she, so she would travel sure. every month to yeah. teach classes and start the creative process um, so yeah I th I, maybe one more note about the community involvement at I think around December we organized um, a couple like meals with the participants in our classes nice. including one with the older well, ladies and residents of the Yikang Center um, we asked them a few questions and they started sharing a lot of their Pers very personal stories. At first, it was like, okay, can you share with us uh, some craft or recipe that you learned in your life? But then they started all talking about their, how they show affection to their relatives and their marriage and their like love life and things like that. Anyways, and around that time too, Mayin asked them, okay, would you like to be part of the final performance? And they said yes. So finally, they were part of the par performance with uh, they showed a little like very uh, it was a traditional fan dance choreography but they also did something that were, we found more uh, audacious is it the word sure. um, Mayin wanted them to go in the public and tell uh, their a personal story to some person in the public which we would find fine asking the professional artists to do but these ladies we didn't know okay maybe they will like, be shy but they, they did it and people were really moved by that so yes i guess that's an overview of the community uh, <laughs> or interactions with the community and can you talk a bit about like you mentioned manhattan's chinatown yeah. for a related dance performance there's montreal's chinatown um, can you talk a bit about the geography and like why the locations you chose were important? And okay. yeah. Well, there's one aspect to that is well, we need enough space, <laughs> and we needed it to be accessible yeah. enough. Yeah. 
um, so there's an artistic perspective too yeah. that like for my solo it was it's just it was nice uh, I needed to tie a, a clothesline yeah. so I needed somewhere that has sure. okay so I cho- I picked a, an area that has trees which is a garden uh, in just uh, north of the Palais des Congrès um, we did insist and had a complicated time getting access, uh, getting the permission mm-hmm. to perform in the Guy Favreau complex. Yeah. It's not a b- pretty space. It's it's quite well. It's like big and modern, and we a lot of <laughs> useless empty space there. They do have a nice garden inside, but the garden is, was under construction. So that was our first idea to go in their garden, which in theory was supposed to be for the community. But in general, there's barely anyone over there. Finally, we had to stay inside the building, but we did get the permission. For context, Complex yeah. Kifabro is a government of Canada, massive complex for people who are hearing, maybe who don't know, in downtown Montreal. and. And uh, in the back, there is a garden for the community, meaning residents of Chinatown that people can't really access often. Yeah, it's be- quite tricky to get to that garden, yeah. and in the like the process to get the permission was very uh, I don't know confusing because initially in February <laughs> psychedelic <laughs> in February I did try and to contact the people, but then it's like. It's an Ontario-based firm that's responsible, and no one knew who I should speak to. I went in person to speak with security. They said, oh, it's fine. Just You can come here and practice your dance and have a tour. Finally, it was not okay, because when I went in May to practice on my own, I was right away interrupted by security people. Then we started another whole process of, okay, who should we talk to? And they were very strict and... You know, it's like when you call and someone says, oh, no, I'm not responsible for that. You should try another way. But I don't know who else you should call. Yeah, they're just not not equipped. Yes. And even the security people, I asked them, they're like, no, we have no idea who you should speak to, to get access to that, to do your performance. And to me, it just became more important because that part of of the, well, this was a part of the neighborhood of of Chinatown. That was a residential, I think there was a school, there was a cemetery, there were maybe more churches in that, on that big block. And they, they just like removed all of that <laughs> human <laughs> life community uh, in the late 70s or 80s, they, the government. But I don't know which level, it's a federal project. And we do know actually some ladies who are taking our classes used to live there and they were they had to move out because of the construction when they were young. And it was significant for us to bring people there and, you know, use it for a community project because it has been stolen. (laughs) And now it's very ironic because it's immigration related, like government activities there. So it's still a stressful place for immigrants. Yeah. How was being there, doing the piece? Well, I it's it was Mayan's part. We spent less time in that place because the permission was uh, uh, we got it 
more last minute. Me, I worked mostly, actually the last location was Dobie and Andy's restaurant. Uh, they were very welcoming to us. It was the <laughs> easiest place to like practice. And that one was because some themes that we explored in the, in the creation were related to, well, the way we eat, that people had nothing to eat. Well, at least in my family, the, the, the guys who came first to Canada, they had nothing to eat in China. That's why they came here. Um, and then different ways to use chopsticks and bowls and uh, things like that. So we wanted a restaurant and Dobby and Andy looked approachable, especially because I I'm working with two street dancers. So we were not going to do something very traditional and pretty looking Chinese uh, dance. So it would have been a bit strange to approach a, a restaurant with like the round tables with white uh, table, table cloths. Yeah. So yeah, Dobby and Andy was pretty uh, nice to work uh, there. And then my site at uh, Palais des Congrès was a bit tricky initially with security, but it was relatively fast to get permission and a bit tricky too with the homeless people who hang out there. They were, some of them were ag aggressive at first, but finally they, they accepted me and I had very like touching conversations with them. So, yeah. So all of what you're describing is related to a broader practice that you have worked on for a number of years, yes. which is related to like developing um, works that interact with um, at a street level yes. uh, so you're dealing and facing with a lot of the realities that are in the city like gentrification um, so how how is it to um, work on your practice today in Montreal in 2023 because there's a lot of issues that are a real thing in the city homelessness displacement um, in comparison with previous projects, this one has been the most complicated in terms of getting permissions to work. Because every, like in the four spots that we had, we had to ask a different place, a different organization. And it's more, there's more, um, is it surveillance? Is it the word? Like the security, because there's also a lot of homeless people in that area, I think that the security uh, guards are even more you know, zealous. Um, like I'm okay with with that, but it's just it takes time off creation time. Um, you, mean, uh, you mean like to build those relationships well, with being interrupted because security says I cannot do this. Okay. Yeah. So can you talk a bit about like that choice that you've made to really focus on street level dance pieces in your in your practice in general? Like why um, has that been oh so yeah. central to you? Um, because it's um, <laughs> yes, people who go to see contemporary dance performances in theaters, but a lot of the public, it's artists, it's people that that we know, and I I want to share my art to a lot of different people and honestly from my perspective just the fact that when I was practicing a lot of well a lot a few homeless people different some of them came back to see me practice on different days I was is the part of the public that I appreciated the most because they 
they would like they supported me and I didn't I didn't expect how they would react but um, for me it's important that it's not just people who who pay a ticket and who know that kind of art uh, no, I, I hope that other people who have never seen contemporary dance can appreciate it and be touched. Sure. That's why. So this is going to be like a big part of your practice as an artist moving forward is looking at ways to continue to interact and engage with public spaces. Yes. Actually, I wish I could continue practicing my solo where I was because I was starting to, to make friends over there. Nice. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm, I have to see w yeah. if we continue, well, we will transform this project, probably modify a bit the tour, but hopefully we'll have more performances in a few <laughs> months. Um, but yes, it's very motivating for me to uh, how it went this time, especially after COVID that I was not doing any creative work for a couple years, so I'm last year when we restarted this project i'm like okay oh, can i can i still do it mm -hmm. will i mm -hmm. still find some like my creative uh, energy and be able to create a choreography i i didn't know because you just forget when you stop doing something um, maybe one thing too related to that covid interruption is that because of that i think that especially the older people to who we taught dance they appreciated it even more because they were sort of imprisoned in in where they lived for a couple years so it was i think very positive for them to start having because they used to have cultural activities it stopped and now we we came well we arrived and it was for them just uh, yeah it was the first time that they had activities since covid um, so you're making this choice also to like take contemporary dance outside of like very closed off spaces. I mean, yes. people will often think about contemporary dance as like, oh, well, how, how much is the tickets? Um, do I have the right outfit? Um, am I going to feel comfortable in this space? Do I, you know, do I need to be familiar with, you know, traditions of or, or you know, established contemporary dance Practitioner, practitioners like Mère Chouinard or something, yeah. you know, to, so why, why are you thinking that like you want to bring, it seems like you're, I'm, I'm at, it's also a question that yeah. you're like trying to like bring more democratic access to contemporary dance, like by bringing it to public spaces? Yes, that's important to me. Um, sometimes I forget because it's been a long time that I do this, so I, I just, internalize the initial reasons and then I'm like yeah this is the right thing to do I'll continue like this but at first yeah there was this idea of democratization of the arts and I think it really worked to another aspect that I didn't uh, that come back that's coming back to my mind is so the older ladies and residents of Chinatown to who we taught dance they were very curious about other dance styles sure. like and they were asking me, okay, so what is contemporary dance? And I tried yeah. to explain to them and they, they were, oh, okay. And then my colleague, Martin Castera, she, she's a popper and whacker. So, so they asked her, so what is popping? 
and what is whacking? And she explains to them, and then she did a demo of each, and they were like, oh, we want to start learning this. So it's sometimes maybe we think that the older people will just prefer the what they know, the traditional stuff that they know, but they were very enthusiastic to, to have us teach them and show them a different way to move. Thanks for chatting today. Ah, you're welcome. Thank you.